Hi, folks, back here on the JR the Boss Man Show. We have a great guest on the line for you guys from the Memphis Tigers, their new head coach, Penny Hardaway. Coach Hardaway, how are things over there in Memphis, man? You know, everything's going great. I have no complaints, man. We're, uh, we hit the ground running, and we haven't stopped running yet. And, Coach, you put together a great recruiting class and a great staff. So how key is that for you to get you a great staff? Is with Sam Mitchell, Coach Matlock, Mike Miller, and yourself, and along with bringing in great guys to bring the city of Memphis back and Memphis Tigers basketball back to where it used to be at? Well, we don't have Sam Mitchell yet. He's one of the, uh, he's one of the final guys. Uh, that's, that's the person that we're really, you know, we wanted to get in here. Uh, gotcha. But Tony Matlock, Rodney, Rodney Hamilton, Mike Miller, and uh, Dwight Boyd. Uh, are the four people that are there now. And, man, it was so important for me to get those guys because Dwight Boyd, who was a former player uh, at the University of Memphis, uh, he was on the uh, the uh, administration side last for the last five, six, seven years. So he brought his expertise over to the basketball side. Rodney Hamilton, who was at TSU, Tennessee State University, uh, was an assistant coach, but he did kind of hold a job as director of basketball operations and doing all the things of that nature for, like, the last, 10, 11 years for the teams that he's been on. And uh, Tony Matlock is 21 years in the game at UTEP, Arkansas State, uh, Ole Miss, and Auburn. And then now he was my, he was my backcourt mate when I was in school. Now he's with me. And then Mike Miller, of course, you know him with his, you know, rookie of the year, uh, a couple championships in Miami. Uh, just, a, just a great staff, man, of guys that understand the game, understand what our vision is here. And uh, we're excited. Now, Coach, you're going to be a biggest adjustment for you going from the high school game to the D1 game, Coach, and you feel like it'd be a seamless transition for you? Uh, well, it's, it's a lot easier and a smoother transition for me uh, because I came from high school versus coming from the NBA and retiring from the NBA and going right into coaching because I do have some familiarity with the high school guys and, uh, and the recruits. And I've been in the AAU game, or I was in the AAU game for like nine years. So I have an understanding of who's out there, what's going on, the relationships that I've built over the years. So coming from high school definitely helped me tremendously. And, uh, Coach, I know you want to get the kids of Memphis to be on your roster as well. Now, looking at looking at from a national perspective, do you want to get more national guys who, along with the, your top Memphis guys, to build your roster there? Because Memphis is a national brand, as you and I both know. Yeah, well, you know, we're trying to get it back to where it, you know, where it used to be. You know, Memphis has always been in the running when it came to basketball. We're a basketball town. Um, you know, the, the city, you know, revolves around what the Tiger basketball nation is doing. Uh, and that's been for years and years and years. Um, but, you know, to get people to believe in us again, to get them to want to come to the school, you know, we're, we're definitely out there working hard to have these kids understand that we have a lot to offer. And now, Coach, you want to go more the high school's senior route or the more JUCO transfer route or the international route or go, you kind of use all four to build your roster. You should have that class balance and let you want to have throughout, throughout your time in Memphis. Well, I think there's a time and a place for everything. And this year we had to get junior college player because uh, he was the best available big man uh, and one of the best big men. Not that he was just a throw-in, but we were blessed to be able to get him um, uh, we went and got a junior college big man. He was uh, they won a national championship in uh, in JUCO, and you know he was available. And man, that was just a blessing for us to get him. But as far as international players, we welcome that. Uh, the rest of the nation, um, you know, just straight freshmen. It's it just you know, we're just going to go out and get the player that we think is going to help us the most, no matter what 
uh, they're coming from, whether it's another D1 or whether it's from JUCO or whether it's from high school. And, Coach, you know, uh, I feel like this for your roster, like being, being in Memphis, you're in a great spot location-wise. You, you all can get out five hours either way, get to Atlanta, go up, up to St. Louis. You can get out to Texas a little bit there. I mean, you're in a great spot to kind of find guys within driving distance by having to get on a plane because that's, that's important too, to find guys within that radius of your, your institution. Yeah, I mean, you want to build a fence around your community. Like, we want to build a fence around Memphis, and we want to get the players that we know that are capable of taking us to the level that we want to be taken to. And we want all the kids in Memphis to feel like they do have an opportunity to come to the school, that they're not shut out. Uh, but we also want to understand that there's other areas in the, in the southeast uh, that we can go to and, and try to get guys. So, you know, we don't want to alienate anyone. We want to just build the program with guys that we know that we need and, uh, and build it from there. We're not trying to just say, hey, this is all about Memphis. It's, it's to build a national championship team, you know, you have to get, you have to gather from everywhere. And having experience like you, you, you coach all the way. You got Mike Miller, guys who played the NBA. You all know how to t- t- teach a guy what it takes to be in the league. So, a guy who wants to go and play professional ball in the league or internationally, you all can show them the way because you all have the experience already right there at the, there at the doorstep. Well, I think a lot of the parents understand that. Um, just like uh, Kentucky does, one and done. You know, we're saying, hey, if you want to go to the league, you know, we played in the league. And that's all I can say about that. I mean, it just. Mike and I understand the game. We want to develop, and I think a lot of the parents already understand that. Now, uh, playing style-wise, Coach Hardaway, you play for a lot of different coaches in your career. And so how you see yourself playing style of being big, playing fast, defending like crazy, switching screens. So how how you going to institute just your – how you feel like playing this year for your talent base you got coming in this year? We're going to be aggressive on both ends of the ball. I mean, we're not going to be dumb. We understand uh, it's, a, it's a different game plan for every team. And uh, we're going to be well-versed and, uh, and, and well-seasoned and taught. We're going to teach every scenario that we can teach when it comes to basketball so that our guys are, uh, are more than prepared to go into any type of game, no matter who we're playing. And, uh, but we're going to get out the people on both ends. We want to attack on both ends of the floor. I feel like uh, when you have an aggressive-minded team, uh, you win more games than you lose because the guys stay in, uh, in attack mode for the entire game on both, on both sides of the ball. Now, Coach, I know, I know you're probably happy about the workouts will be starting here real soon when some of the school starting, get on the court with your guys. So will you be implementing your schemes or will you be trying to play development with the guys, kind of see what you got, evaluating your talent, then kind of try to implement schemes in the fall coming up here? Well, I think that we're going to uh, introduce certain things, but you have to go with the personnel that you have. We can't go in one-track-minded uh, and just say, hey, we're going to play this way. We can with some stuff. Some stuff is non-negotiable, but you got to deal with the talent that you have. And um, we're going to do that. We're going to uh, get the guys in, understand that on the offense, we want to play fast. We want to open four. We want to allow you to play. And I think most kids will love that. And, um, you know, we're not going to just – we're going to figure it out as we go on. I think in, um, by the time the, uh, the fall comes, we'll, we'll have a better idea of guys and what we want to do. But we're not going to just be closed-minded because we may have to adjust some things. Get there, right, Coach? Now, I call it scheduling wise, Coach. I know in Memphis, you can probably play anybody you want to play, not any of them zip tournaments as well. So, are you trying to play like a Maui or a Bahamas tournament and then try to play all the major teams around the country to get your team ready for that play in the American Conference, which is going to get real tough in America now? Absolutely. I came in this year and tried to change as much of the schedule as I could. Um, I'm all competition. I'm not dumb. I guess in today's game, I would be dumb because most coaches want 20 wins. I want to get my team better. I kind of respect what 
the top schools do, especially Coach Izzo, because Coach Izzo, man, he he might be four and four or three and four early, just playing a tougher schedule, and then he always ends up in the Final Four or the Elite Eight. So I'd rather play the competition early to see what I'm working with, to see what my guys are made of, because those are the teams that you're going to see in the NCAA tournament if you want to win it. Even though you're going to have some Cinderella stories, for the most part, you're going to have some strong teams from some strong conferences. So I want to play in the Maui Classic. I want to play in all the large tournaments where we can play against competition, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, all those top teams, the Blue Bloods, Arizona, to just kind of see where we are, where we size up at. That's how I've always been. Even with my high school team, we went around the country playing all the top teams as much as the, the state of Tennessee, our water association, our state association would allow us to do. We always wanted to play the tougher teams. And also, Coach, I tell you what, playing those, your, your conference is going to be crazy. And with your addition of Memphis, uh, you got schools like UCF and those guys, East Carolina getting better. So, when you look at the conference as a whole, how do you see yourself trying to navigate the small teams you got in the league right now and how you build your roster right here in the, in the summertime and going to the fall and down the road? You know, it's funny you said that because I had to go to the head coaches conference out in Phoenix, Arizona about a month ago. And when I actually sat in the room, I knew of the team. But when you finally sit in the room and look at all these guys, these, these head coaches that are in our conference, man, you got some unbelievable coaches in our conference. And I'm sitting there going, wow, you know, our work is definitely cut out for us because these guys have won their entire careers, a majority of these guys. And it's a it's really a veterans conference. If you the teams that won last year, Wichita State had seniors, Cincinnati had seniors, Houston had seniors, and um SMU got hurt, but they had seniors, but those were the teams that were winning the conference. And those guys uh, you know, the those 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 seniors and those juniors really just kind of just they dominate this conference. So when you go out and recruit a kid, you got to get a tough kid because you're going to be playing against Wichita State, Kentucky, Houston. All these teams are tough, um, and you got to get kids that are that are able to be coached. I mean, that are going to want to be able to adjust and and uh, go into war. And I think we've done a great job of that because we have every kid that we've recruited and that has signed, they're winners. They they be the one championships in JUCO or they won championships in. In high school, or they won championships at AAU, so they're they're winners. So, you know, I think that's so important. Now, Coach Hardaway, let me ask you this: When when did you get the bug to become a coach? So I know you're a great player in the NBA, a great a superstar player, in my opinion. Uh, when did you get the interest to want to start coaching and helping out kids and growing their, their games to get them on the, the bigger things in their lives, whether it be collegially or professionally? Well, I think I've always been a coach. You know, being an extension of the coach on the floor, being the point guard. Uh, but actually wanting to coach, my friend Desmond Merriweather, we had the 30 for 30 on uh, and the E60 on uh, ESPN where um, uh, I came back home after I retired and then he asked me to help him coach because he had got diagnosed with colon cancer and he couldn't do the chemo and be the coach. So I started coaching at that time. You know, I had just retired and I didn't know what I was going to do and that's when it started. But I didn't know until that moment that I really wanted to coach. I always knew I could help kids. But I never knew it was going to be to the point of where I, I was in it for seven years, you know, coaching wow. middle school and high school. Wow. And, and that's going to be a blessing for a lot of kids to get a coach by the man himself, Kenny Hardaway, because a lot of kids don't really know who you are. Now, are kids awestruck when you, you coach them? Was it kind of like, oh, he's our coach? But they're like, oh, man, you, you was a great player. You was, you was that man. I think the kids that I coached, they'd go on YouTube and see that I could play. But they looked at me just as a normal person. When It would really – you know, they would laugh about it when people would come up to me and ask me for a picture or for an autograph. Like, man, we really forgot who our coach was because 
I was so personable with them and and being with them every day, they didn't look at me as the same way that other fans or other people would look at me. They were like, Hey, this is our coach. We don't we don't understand the other side of it because we weren't born, but we only look at him as our as our coach. Now I got a couple more for you, Coach Hardaway is this now. Who are some coaches who's really helped mold you the way who you are today for us being a coach in the game now, who you lean on now professionally to help you as you transition to being a head coach at the D1 level here? Well, I mean, I have some mentor friends that I, uh, that I kind of call from time to time. John Lucas is one of them. He's a great basketball mind. Um, and I have some older friends that understand the game that, uh, you know, the one thing about Memphis is they keep it real with you. You know, they, they let you know when you're, when you're going down the right track and when you're getting sidetracked. So I got a lot of guys that around me that aren't just yes people or yes men or they kind of, you know, when I'm, when I'm straying away from what I, what I understand about the game and what I believe in, then they kind of get me back right. So, but yeah, John Lucas is one of the guys that I talk to. Now, if I want for a coach, I got this now. Do you want to see some of the NBA rules come in the college game where you advance the ball in the last two minutes of the game? The shot clock going down 24 seconds and playing quarters. It's also more going to six six fouls, maybe. Those things you'll see, see the college game maybe adopt going forward. I would love to see that. I want to still have the the pure the pureness of the game stay there. But they do if they want to go to the next level. And there's some kids that are going to go. That's a small percentage, but I think it speeds the game up. I think it allows them to understand what the next level is about. It's more exciting for the fans. There's more possessions in the game. Uh, it's it's just better. So I would love for them to change to change some of the things. Coach Hardaway, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, man. Look forward to talking to you down the road, man. Best of luck to you this summer and in the fall, man. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, folks. Penny Hardaway on the Boss Man Show. All right, folks. Back on the Boss Man Show. Bone with me to talk about the NBA coaching changes. Bone, I'm going to let out for this way, brother. Uh, did, last year had, had no changes. But... It got tenuous this year. Like, I I knew that the coach Atlanta Hawks was going to find his way out of town. Uh, I knew he was trying to go to Milwaukee or anywhere but Atlanta because he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. And the, that that coach also purposely won in games he shouldn't have been winning, as I've detailed to you off off the air, and pretty much cost the Hawks the eight and pretty much. But because <laughs> the worst record got the number one pick in the draft lottery, as you saw. But they did move up, but they he still cost him. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll let you t- go on that too. But last year, no changes. But this year, you know, you have you had the Hawks have a change. Uh, Frank Vogel had no chance for Orlando. Steve Clifford, Mitch Kupchak wanted him out. He can get his power his own guy. We'll get him shortly. Uh, Hornacek and your neck of the woods was just was pretty much just there. Stan Van Gundy, you know, four years only one playoff appearance. Propelling both titles, he's out in Detroit. Toronto, Dwayne Casey got fired because LeBron James couldn't solve the LeBron James problem all these years. Eight and zero in the last years, like Mike Budenholzer was just on his own out there. They <laughs> that kid gets fired in New Milwaukee because he don't get along with with new ownership and new GM and stuff. So Phoenix, of course, fires or watch three games three games a season, bone. So these changes, my good brother. I mean, these are something you were expecting to happen this year and. And let's speak about the Hawks situation with the draft lottery and winning those games and how you, how you feel about that as well. So, Bone, I'll throw it all out there at you. Take it wherever you want to go, my good brother. Talk to the good people at the Boss Man Show, man. Yeah, I, I think the token changes were affected uh, because uh, there's just there some bad teams in the NBA this year. 
I, I know this year is a lot more competitive in the Eastern Conference uh, than years past, but I think that the fact that there are still so many bad teams and teams openly tanking, as Mark Cuban got fined for saying that it's best for his team to lose games, he got banged for that. I think that's evident that there are so many bad teams and doing it on purpose. The Bulls, they set, they set uh, Lopez. You know, because they didn't want them, you know, winning games. Uh, you know, the, the Suns, they started almost all kids. Uh, it's just some bad teams, and I think that ownership, I think, might have been pressed by by uh, Silver. I think Silver pressed these owners and said, you know what, we're done with this tanking stuff. You got to get right. You got to get guys in who, who, who actually want to win games and are competent. And I, I think that's what happened. Uh, with, with a few of those spots in the NBA, uh, with, uh, according to, you know, with, you know, with your boy Bud, he was also in that in a vein where he didn't want to tank, and I think that he kind of weaseled his way out of Atlanta. And he failed up because now he's going from a place that now has been all over again, a place that he has to destroy with his own bare hands, and now he's going to a, a winning situation, which beyond me, I don't know how he landed up, uh, but I think the turnover in coaching was to be seen this offseason because of the way that Silver is trying to crack down in his own way on tanking teams. Do you feel if the Cavs lose, uh, if, if the Cavs, if, 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 if LeBron James leaves, do you feel that, the, that Ty Lue is going to be out? Or they let him see what he can do without LeBron James as being a head coach? You know, I, I, think, that, I think that he might stay for another year. See, I don't see I don't think I don't think that, that once LeBron leaves and I think it's more when, not if, I think when LeBron leaves, uh I think that Lou might get one more try at it to see what he can do with kids. And because it's really not his fault. The the the, the front office, you know, Kobe went all in with with trying to look, you know get his roster loaded up with the veterans and guys who are playoff tested. And now we're seeing that it's not really working. Um, I, I kind of think that, that they might give Lou a reprieve and might give him another shot uh, because so what happens is these positions now are all drying up. So what options are are there for the Cavs if they do want to move on from Ty Lou? Do they go call Van Gundy or you know I, I, either one? I I don't know. They call Mark Jackson. I don't know. So th- there are there really aren't many options out there in the, in the free market right now for coaches. Uh, I know. I, I thought very highly of C. Clifford. I thought he did a very good job in Charlotte, considering that Michael Jordan screwed so many drafts uh, over the years with the Hornets. Uh, that Clifford actually made a, you know, a playoff appearance with, with, with that roster once. So I, I, I don't know if Lou gets canned once LeBron leaves. I think he gets another year at it at least. And uh, how do you like the hiring of Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta, coming from Philadelphia? I mean. Um, I, I, I hate contracts. Like I told you off the air, I, I don't like that uh, three-year guarantee with a fourth-year team option. That that's a to me that's really a, a two-year deal. The mask is for, but whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I think a lot of these young guys, you know, I think the young coaching guys coming in now, all those fresh faces, and, 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 you know, you know, all these new unknown names. I think they're almost kind of forced. To take what is offered to them, they they have no leverage and no bargaining power. Uh, I think that's why the, the the big name guys like like a Van Gundy or Mark Jackson are still still not without jobs 
because they, they know that they go to negotiations, they hold a, a lot of leverage, a lot of sway. Uh, so you, you can almost, if you're in ownership, you can almost take a, a guy who's young and untested, unproven, unknown, and give him a crappy deal and say, you know, work with this and, and see. Because if you're a young, aspiring assistant coach, you're not going to turn down a head coaching offer. You're just not. Because there, are not, there aren't many out there. You know, they're only, what, 30 teams. So you're not going to turn down a guaranteed coaching, head coaching gig. So for a guy like Pierce, uh, he leaves Philly, which is on the uprise, and he, he goes comes down to, to y'all. And I think it's a good move as far as because he's a player's kind of coach. But, you know, almost all assistant coaches are player coaches because they're, they're not really in charge yet. Now we're going to see what happens now when he's one seat over on the bench. That's the big difference between the assistant coach and head coach. Now this guy gets almost a short leash, but he had to take it because Ownership had all the upper hand on this. Yeah, you, you, you got to take it, you know. I mean, my thing is, can you just make it a four-year and just, like, how hard is it to make that four-year guarantee rather than be a team option? That's just my thing. Or like the guy in Phoenix, the straight three-year deal. Really? Oh, no. That's horrific. That's not good. It is. It's, like, it's really a bad deal for him. It that's is. two years. Like it really. And just think of that roster, how young it is, and when they're gonna, they're probably gonna add Aiton, who's what nineteen, or they'll add Doncic. That means you have who's what, you got two 20? years to show your show your two years. Yeah, so so you're gonna have a two year run with a team that probably is about uh, four years away, and what you're gonna do is as a coach, you're gonna groom these young guys. And then they're going to finally blow up. And they're finally going to blow up and be good players. But you're no longer there because they long fired you. So you've done all that work and all that groundwork for nothing. Because now these guys have blown up in their fourth, fifth year. But you've been long gone. Two years is not enough. Three years is not enough for the first son. You're going to need a, a full rebuild. Because right now they're playing kids. They're playing guys who are 19, 20 years old. So you're going to need a coach to be there with a good four or five-year plan. And you're not allowing these guys to grow with their players. So what has happened is it's going to be a cycle. It's going to be the same cycle. They're going to hire a guy for a two-year deal with a, thir- a third-year team option. It's not going to work out, obviously. And then they'll fire him. And they'll just keep, just keep doing it over and over again. The vicious cycle, they need more security to have their plan implemented. Because I got Bicker staff here in a straight three years. James Borrego in Charlotte, three years with a team option on the fourth. Pierce, three years, team option. Fizdale and Bootenhoser, straight four-year deals. Yeah, I, I think that makes more sense. I think because ownership of both the Bucks and Knicks realize that these two guys, even though people, I know people don't like Bud, he holds some kind of weight for some reason around the league. He's highly praised for some reason around Pat the league. Pat Riley for Fizdale, Popovich for Bud. Yeah. Exactly. So when you have those kings, Riley and Pop are king of kings. So when you have them vouching for you, it holds a lot more weight. So that did, it gave Fizz and it gave Bud that extra year. So now they have a full four-year plan ahead of themselves. And it made sense from ownership because they, they, they had Pop and Riley vouch for them. Uh, but the other guys, they're, they're all screwed. because They're all going to bad situations. And they're all going on these two- and three-year deals and they're going to just be chewed up and fit out. And see, folks, let me tell you what it is. All these coaches got three years guaranteed. But if you, some of them got straight three years, and they have a, that funny fourth year, the team option, I call it a funny fourth year. Because after year two, 
you're a lame duck with a team option. I, it may guys know what that means, you know. Oh, so now if it's your option, you know, and the Atlanta Hawks are far away, Phoenix is far away, Memphis far away. Now James Borrego and Charlotte, he got some pieces to work with, but that's going to be yeah. broken down soon because you got Batum on a bad deal, Dwight Howard last year his deal, Marvin Williams on a bad contract. So that can and be- they and the and the Hornets they tried to move Kemba Walker. That I think people forget that they came close to moving Kemba. Their only All Star on the roster. Uh, the only reason it fell through on some teams that I was told was because the Hornets insisted on including Batum, his bad deal, and teams said, "No way, I'm not doing that." But the Hornets really wanted to trade Kemba at that deadline. So this is something they know they can't, they can't that, resign him. That's why. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so this is something that's going to be haunting Charlotte. And I think Kupchak is very good at his job, but he's almost hand, his his hand is tied with this roster. Uh, this and with Michael Jordan that, being so frugal too. Yeah, well, it's funny because because Mike Mike should know what it takes to build a winner because he was on so many winners in his career as a player, and now he's like he's at best a mediocre team owner. So I. So it's interesting to see how he handles this going forward because this roster right now it has some talent, some pockets of talent, but overall they're not ready either. And it's shocking, Doc Rivers got a contract extension from the Clippers. Now with Lawrence Frank being a GM now, man, he hired Lawrence Frank. Now he's Lawrence Frank. Now he's Lawrence Frank's boss is now Doc Rivers, and he probably took a haircut for the ten million he was making. But I guess the Clippers overachieved this year, and he lost Mike Woodson as his lead assistant. Mike Woodson now is with the Clippers. On the staff, well, I mean, the Suns on, on their staff now. So Woody's in Phoenix now. Uh, it's it's gonna be weird, man. The league is, the league is a uh, tripping bone. And I, I I was a report out <laughs> about potentially the league expanding to thirty two teams with Seattle and Kansas City. I would like that. Well, if that happens, I would love a, a team in Seattle again. Uh, I would say, why not just contract or move a current team? that does poorly in sales. Uh, there really isn't a need uh, for certain teams in this league. So why not give it back to Seattle? Because Seattle was one of the best fan bases in the history of American sports. Seattle Supersonic fan base was amazing. They sold out Key Arena every night. They have the, one of the best high-flying shows in the history of NBA with, with Peyton and Kemp. Uh, it's a shame that they got robbed of that. And, and, and it's the shame that Stern rob us of that. Uh, so they're really good team in Seattle, like, 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 like right now. And what I really really I'm with, we'll put Memphis in the Eastern Conference, which makes sense to me, I guess, putting them in the Eastern Conference yeah. and, and leaving Seattle and KKC in the Western Conference and realigning the West out there, where you'll have, like, the California teams as a division. You pretty much have the Lakers, the Clippers, the Golden State, and the Kings as a division. You have Denver, Portland, Seattle, and – I guess Minnesota, you know, yeah. and you have the Southwest Division pretty much with those teams, with in Texas with New Orleans there. So, you know, it'll be kind of a weird thing to have, you know, they're like the Magic, the Hawks, the Heat, and the Hornets in the same division. You know, you know, got Memphis in there with Indiana, Chicago, and them, and Milwaukee. So it'll be interesting how they had a realignment with it, they would do it. But they said it's it's – not too too far away. It's far away, but not too far away. But they're trying to get Kansas City and get uh 
and get uh, Seattle and they're talking to the players union about getting more jobs, being more jobs, making the D League more viable. So all the things going on in the league, man, I, w- I would love to see a team, you know, them two teams coming back and also keep a team in Memphis. No, I'm not fond of Memphis. I'm not fond of the city like like that, but I used to live there. <laughs> and I know that they need something to do in Memphis. That team brings that city, that city joy because not much joy there since Dr. King got killed there. They're still stuck in, that, in the 60s in Memphis. So, but they need something to cheer for. So I don't want the team to move to Seattle and go away and them. That's team and it's be a dead spot in downtown Memphis like it already is. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I hear you saying. I know that you're saying, but as far as the communal effect, and as far as the profit in the city and jobs and stuff, that the the city does need the Memphis Grizzlies there. But really, I mean, talking about just late performance lately, performance wise. They really don't need the Grizzlies in Memphis anymore, and they don't need the Grizzlies in the West. That makes no sense. And they don't need the Kings. And honestly, I, I I know I'm sorry they had they had a, they had a good run with you know with D. Ross Weber, Peja, those guys, Bibby. That was a good run. But since then, they've they've it's been a hellhole. It's been a sinkhole of basketball, uh, where, where where no one can win and thrive in Sacramento. They really don't need a team in Sacramento. They really don't. And Kansas City, they tried it before with the Kings. The Kings left Kansas City to go to Sacramento, and because Kansas City couldn't hold a, a professional basketball team, so what makes you think now that it'll work? But I, I don't know what Silver has has in plan for this for this, sorry, realignment and stuff. But to me, there are some teams that don't belong where they where they are right now. Anyway, I'm with you. Well, folks, this is this is Bone with me. The Boston Bone said we got one more something for you people. We're gonna talk to you about the. Knicks hit bone special in the New York Knicks with my man David Fisdale. Take that for data here on the Boss Man Show. Back after the break. Alright, folks, back on the Boss Man Show with my man here, Tony T Bone Williams with me, Metro New York, Salute Magazine. He's the beat writer for the New York Knicks. He's always in Madison Square Garden with Walt Clyde Frazier, Mike Brain in the Garden Faithful doing his thing over there. Bro. How is the buzz in New York City with the man himself, mm-hmm. David Fisdale, a big disciple, leading the Knicks now for the next four years? Oh, I think it's, I think it's a very good move, a smart move. Uh, I'm a big Fisdale fan. But like I said in the last segment, it's still a big jump when you go from the assistant to the head coach seat. And we saw Fizz and his, his failures in Memphis, a lot of that – Honestly, it was due because of a Gasol sabotaging him anyway behind his back. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think with I think with New York, there's a clean slate. Uh, Perry and, and 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 Mills, they like him. They enjoy being around him. They, they love his, his basketball knowledge and passion. They love that he appreciates be, being here in New York. He said in his press conference, uh, he said that as a kid, he told his mom that he wanted to play in the Mecca one day as a player. So the next best thing is to be a coach in Mecca. So he really appreciates being here in New York, wearing the colors of the Knicks and being representing the New York City crowd. So he is a great fit. I know fans clamor for Mark Jackson because of his history and ties to the Knicks, but that really was never going to happen. There was just too much, uh, I would just say, undercurrent and baggage from his days in Golden State. Nothing to do with basketball, mind you. Nothing to do with Mark Jackson's basketball ability as a coach. The undercurrents and the rumors and murmurings were behind the scenes with how he dealt with his coaching staff, how he dealt with people in, in, in the offices, how he dealt with ownership, how he dealt with secretaries in the offices. So that had nothing to do with basketball acumen. 
but it just had to do with just the bad, I guess, backlash behind the scenes about Mark uh, going on. So that was never really going to be a, a hire for the Knicks. But hiring Fisdale made it so much sense because of his passion for New York and the fact that he lo- he, he wants to be here. You know, I, I, he has he has just the the ear of so many uh, players around the league. Now, I'm going to stop here right now real quick, though. This does not mean, Nick fans, that LeBron is coming to New York. LeBron and Fizz are very close to the days down in Miami Heat, but LeBron is not coming to New York. So let's stop with that right there. Let's pump the brakes in that. Fizzdale's here for a full rebuild, and LeBron is at a stage of career where he's chasing ghosts. He's not going to chase ghosts losing here in the garden every night, so he's not coming here, guys. Yes, and as we know, Mark Gasol sabotaged David Fizzdale in Memphis. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. How is he going to – has he talked about his plans to – I don't know if that happened with Chris Tass Porzingis because David well, Fisdale can be very strong-headed, stubborn, and bull-headed, which is probably a good coach. But Marc Gasol yeah. didn't like that. And he talked about like, uh, the Miami Heat weight in Memphis, that he's always quoted the Miami Heat weight to the guys in, in Memphis, and that kind of rubbed him the wrong way too. So is he going to yeah. stop with the Miami Heat way and this, this, this is the Fizz way? Or how, how, how does he code the Miami Heat way and then not come out in a way that just rubs people the wrong way? So you kind of compare and contrast the Heat to where you, the Knicks now. Right. Well, he did say in his press conference that he's learned. He thinks he's learned from his mistakes of how he handled superstar players. Because the NBA is a star-driven league. More than any other pro league here in this country, the NBA is a star-driven league where stars run teams uh, and the coaches are offendable. And we saw that in Memphis. He lost power struggles with Gasol. Even an aging Gasol, who is now a dinosaur in today's NBA, where everyone's up and down, running the floor, up and down, you know, and, and shooting threes or, 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 or running to the rim or have handles. He's kind of a dinosaur. And even then, he survived that battle of, of minds with him and, him and Fizdale. But David said that he's learned from that. He thinks he has. Uh, his talkings with uh, with Mills and Perry, he thinks, he thinks he's more mature now as a head coach. And that whole Miami Heat way and the Fizdale way, I think that he's going to lessen that. He joked that, he said, right after the press conference, he's getting the first plane smoke into Latvia. He's going to go smooth and, and, and hang out with, with uh, Chris Staff. Because he knows that Chris Staff is the franchise, the face of the franchise, and Chris Staff will have even a larger voice going forward, even though he's injured. He is a franchise pet, so he knows. Fizdale knows that he needs to grease things up with with uh, with Porzingis. So I think that he'll be good in that respect. And besides, Porzingis is now Porzingis plays a game like today's big. Uh, I think far more than Gasol, so he'll fit more with Fizdale's thinking of blocking offense, where he'll probably play Porzingis more to five once he's healthy to play, where he'll be like a a stretch five or a point five. So I, I think that he's learned from mistakes with Gasol and I'll apply those things with Porzingis. And Bone, another thing that where he lost to Grizzlies is that when he decided to say, came in and told him Zach Randolph, you're going to be our sixth man. You come off the bench. That you don't put Jarrell Martin in over him. And I know that, that cost him Mark Gasol. Now, Mike Conley kind of went with it because that's not who he is. But – and Tony Allen kind of rough. He'd say, you come off the bench too. Like, you putting Zebo and Tony Allen, the Memphis Grizzlies fans, fans' favorites, saying they come off the bench. Yeah. yeah he I came in. Well. 
that, 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 that he came in with that, I think you don't do that. I mean, I don't expect for them to let them start today because the, the last year their deals. I get that. You know, I'm gone anyway. I get that. But to, to not play fan favorites, Vince Carter, Tony Allen, and Zabo, I know you want to make the team faster. But yeah. that's what the crowd in Memphis wanted to see. Yeah, I think the culture change was too quick, too much, too fast, too soon. And I think Fizz came in. in a year too early in Memphis. Yeah, and I, I think also the fact that these guys are also all on expiring deals, and Fizzdale knew that they weren't going to be part of that future. And Fizzdale saw the future of the NBA where everyone's shooting threes, everyone's running, everyone's cutting, everyone's motioning. There are no more standstill players like Zebo or, or even Gasol at times in the post. I think Fizdale, like you said, was a year too soon. And he did too much too soon, too fast, where he comes in and he just napalms an entire culture. The grindhouse was exactly what it was. It was Tony It was Tony Allen's grindhouse, where it was grit and grind. It was get on the floor. It was guys throwing elbows and shoulders. And just, it was like almost like a boxing or MMA match every night in, in Memphis at, 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 the, uh, at the FedEx. It was almost like a wrestling match every night. And I think fans embrace that kind of physicality, kind of a throwback. And then you get, you get Fizz and this upstart assistant coach comes in and almost try to erase the whole identity of that, of the, of the, of the grindhouse. They won. And they it, won, it, they it won. rubbed, yeah, and it rubbed everyone the wrong way. So I think he got off the bad foot and he just couldn't get back and good races. Exactly. Now, draft pick wise, who are they looking at draft? I know they got the eighth pick, I think again, right? Or ninth pick. Yeah, since they're, they're ninth, the ninth pick, which I mean, this, this is a pretty talented group of pl- players. So there should be a pretty good player there at nine. Now we're looking at the Bridges boys, one Villanova of, from Michigan State. Looking at Colin Sexton. Looking at Trey Young. So I think that's probably they're 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 they for the Knicks. I think it's probably the wish list for the Knicks. And I, I know Perry said that they're going to go best available player. Now they already have I think three point guards on the roster. But if Trey Young is still there, if Sexton is still there, they will not hesitate to pick one of those guys at ninth pick. I'm telling you right now, if even the glut of point guards on the roster, they will do that. And they think that player, player available is a point guard uh, because they need more firepower. They know that Neil Aquino is not, is not a firepower type point guard. He's more of a defensive uh, guy on the floor. Uh, Fisdale at the press conference said that he's going to try to introduce defense to Moutier. I say good luck with that. Moutier doesn't play any defense. But Moody has the body type and the length to play defense. If Fizzle can tap into that, now you have two guys on the wing who play defense, but no scoring. So I'm going to trade Burke. So now you need someone else to pair with Trey Burke and, and get some scoring punch in the backcourt. So I'm saying right now, if the Bridges boys are both gone at nine, I wouldn't be surprised if Sexton or, or Trey Young is there at nine, sitting there, and, and, and they get picked. What about the second round picks, Bone? They have any or, 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 or would Dolan buy, buy a pick or two? I think I, I know Mills and, and, and Perry. They say that anything is open, anything is possible. Uh, if they want to garner more picks, to, you know, you know, you know, through a cash pick, I think they cost three million dollars for a pick. So I mean, if, if they want to go in that route and add more second round picks, because with second round picks, uh, I think the more you have, the better chance you have of finding maybe a, a steal in the second round, because there could be steals you had as far as, as far as guys who are maybe under the radar. Who play international ball, or you know, kind of like you know, behind the scenes, they're almost underground players. So I think that any possibility is open for the Knicks. I wouldn't be surprised to see them add more picks if they can, 
if they can't buy buy in second round and get more picks that way because they have holes to fill and they'll have a lot of money to fill those holes. So if you can get good bargain picks in the second round, why not go for it? Exactly. And are there any plans for, for, for THJ? Will he be starting, come off the bench, or, uh, or where, where has, how does he factor in all this? And how does uh, my man C. Lee factor in? Is uh, Joe Kinoa going to be stretched or cut? And are they looking at trades? Right? What, what are you handling on Nick's trade front right now? Well, there, there's no trade market for for, for Joe Kinoa. Uh, Joe Kinoa and his beard right now, there's no trade market for them. Uh, the Knicks, I know they want to find a way to keep Kylo Quinn. Uh, maybe because uh, he's he's a, he's a New Yorker. He's born and born and bred New Yorker himself. So I know he he has a great attachment to the fans. The fans, he's a fan favorite. So I know and he's a good worker, a good teammate. Uh, so I know they want to keep him and retain his services. Joe Kim, there's no chance of him getting traded because no one wants him. Uh, I, I just point blank from what I hear, there's no team out there that has any kind of interest in Joe Kim Noah. Not only because of the injury history. But the bloated contract, the fact that he came to blows with Hornacek, I mean, there's just too much baggage for, for Joe Kim right now. If he gets stretched, that probably makes the most sense. But then that also messes with your cap history going forward. Uh, I, I would say, as far as for Tim Hardaway, he's, I would say that he's the starter. Uh, Courtney, that's another thing. Because the Knicks, obviously, they wanted a number one pick. For O'Quinn and Courtney Lee, the deadline. There is no team get a, a number one. They should have took two seconds. Remember, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, that there were deals for two seconds of the Knicks turn them down. Yeah, there's no way there are teams offering a one for either O'Quinn or Lee, even if they were expiring contracts or not. There's no team in right mind getting a one for those those guys. Uh, so, like you said, they should have took it to, to two twos and built from there, but they didn't, and now they're kind of stuck in limbo here. So. I would say Hardaway is definitely safe. He's, he's probably one of the safer guys on that roster uh, going forward. I, I've obviously, Porzingis is safe. Uh, I, I would say Hardaway, Anthony Lakina. I would say Trey Burke has a spot on his roster no matter what. So there are there are a few guys who are safe for now. Uh, but like you said, to turn down those those deals for Lee and O'Quinn was asinine. Very much so. Well, Bone, I tell you what, my good brother, we're going to keep an eye on the New York Knicks. I have an interest in this because, you know, I have friends on the roster. So that very much <laughs> means I keep out of New York Knicks. So hopefully, Paris and Mills get, get it right. You have a black black GM, black president, a black head coach. Not very many times it happened in professional sports. So we got to make the Knicks sure they succeed. It won't, oh, won't ever happen again. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 this is a great trifecta. And not just because of the whole black thing, but it's because that they're, they're they're qualified. All three guys are highly qualified. So it wasn't just, just doling, giving out, you know, affirmative action. This, these guys are all very respected around the league through players, through agents, through coaches, you know, and so forth. So this is a great move by the Knicks, and I love that they're going forward. And I wish these three guys the best luck, not only because of my sake, because I like covering the team, I like being around the team, but just because – the Knicks need to be winners. They need to be good again. The league matters so much more when you have Boston, L.A., Philly, New York mattering again. They need Knicks to matter again. I'm with you, folks. That's my man bringing the heat from Metro New York. Salute Magazine, my man, Tony Tebow with Bone. Appreciate your brother coming in on a good vacation week for John. Great job as always, my man. We got to do this again. It was fun, brother. Get you on the air again, bro. We had ice. was great. It's always my pleasure, man. I, I was hopping on. Thank you, man. 
All right, folks, that's Bone. Boss, we out. All right, folks, back in the Boss Man Show. Three Man Weave is my man. JC with me, bro, man. Boy, it's good in the city of Memphis. Are you all dry? Because I know it's wet here in the ATL, man. Man, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot up here, dog. But uh, everything, everything's good up here in the M-Town, man. You know, we looking forward in the next couple of weeks to the NBA draft. What are we going to do with that fourth pick, man? Y'all should trade that pick down, bro. Trade down. Trade down. I think it's going to happen. I really think y'all trade, trade down and get some picks. Get some picks for Chris Falls to mess up pretty much. Basically. You can't draft nobody in the first round or for crap. Man. Oh, we'll find a way. We'll find a way. We'll find a way to mess it up. <laughs> no, bro, let's, let's address this, man. What's up with the uh, Rockets collapse? Do you feel like the Warriors figured the Rockets out? Or was it the Chris Paul guy hurt and Mike D'Antoni pretty much playing seven guys? Gassed his team out, but not going deep in his mental playoffs like Joe Johnson, maybe, or Bob Mute, or even a, a, a Nene a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of everything. Uh, when you think about it, man, you know, it's so unfortunate. Chris Paul is having some great playoffs, man, and kind of kind of uh, uh, getting rid of that playoff stigma he's had in the past. He can never get past, you know, second round of the playoffs, man. He's probably playing some of the best ball he's played in years, man. Um, you know, you could truly talk about Chris Paul being back on that elite point guard level, you know, with the way he was playing in the playoffs. So, just, you know, just uh, unfortunate, um, you know, uh, events there that led him pulling a hamstring. And then you knew as soon as he pulled that hamstring, you knew it was over with. You knew it was over with. I was thinking that maybe he was trying to give it a go in game seven. But, you know, you don't want to risk something like that, man. Because that could easily turn to from a hamstring strain to a tear. You know, and, and further hamper, hamper him even next year, you know, possibly, man. So... Um, I understand the reason why you know want to sit him out, and then you know you think about the uh, question when the guy goes down, man. You know somebody else has to step up. You know they only only plays a certain number of guys, you know, uh, on the squad there. So you know like Joe Johnson of the world who got in, you know the last game or whatever, and playing extensive minutes, but you know he wasn't ready to really go out there and, and produce. And uh, then they older guys, well, man. So you know it really it really behooves you to have a deep bench. You know, you need to at least be able to go nine, ten deep. You know, because you want you know run you guys, run you guys ragged. You know, they were gassed after that first half and the explosion they had in the first quarter and second quarter. I was telling my family, I was like, "Hey, it's over with." Those guys are tired, and, and you saw that it was, it was evident in the third quarter, man. Seven capable players in series. If we Iggy bid out with that knee, so I think Golden State out talented the Rockets and eventually. It makes me wonder about that bench. Like they gonna do something about that bench? You couldn't go to Quinn Cook. They trust him in Game Five. He missed the shot. You couldn't go Dave West too slow. Oh, Damian Jones wasn't ready. Nick Young played his first well. So do you feel like Golden State? Hey man, Golden State is just that pretty girl that's on Instagram 
on social media. You know what I'm saying? She gets in all the clubs for free because she's so beautiful. But hasn't has no substance. You know what I'm saying? Once you get past, you know, the top four guys, you know, who else who, who else you gonna be concerned with? You know? They're very top heavy, so with Golden State, they go, you know, however, you know, the big four go. You know what I'm saying? If they have a great game, they're gonna win. I mean, maybe even a mediocre game they'll still win, but if all four guys are struggling and it's kinda of, they, they it really got the series, you know, in Houston but they would take the uh, take the lead and everything in the series. All four guys really struggled. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like one guy had a great performance and the, and the other three. Like all four guys seemed to be kind of bothered, you know, out there as far as what, what the Rockets are doing. So, um, you know, it's just like I said, they're, they're top heavy. And then the Rockets, you know, you were, you were shorthanded, but you got nobody to blame but yourself, man, missing all those threes in, the start, in, uh, in game seven, man. What did you miss, like 26 threes in, in game seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, man. So it's like that, that string of uh, consecutive misses there uh, with three pointers, man. So nobody to blame but yourself. But if you live by it all season long, you know you got you got to expect to die by it three also. Exactly. Now look at their look at their roster, bro. Other roster roster. Um, they're kind of capped out. Capella's a free agent. So is Trevor. I mean, you know, if you can swing a deal for LeBron, you do everything it takes to make it happen. But um, but if LeBron goes somewhere else, I think you got to do everything you can to keep the team together. I can see you maybe parting ways with Trevor Reza, but even he plays an important role in the team defensively. You know, but for the longest time, the last two years, we always thought of the Rockets as an offensive team, but defensively, you know, they play well uh, in spurts this year as well, so... You know, you do, and, and, and definitely, all means, tell him. Tell him the future uh, defensive player of the year uh, win. I'm telling you right now. He's going to win uh, defensive player of the year pretty soon, man. That guy, he, he does it all out there. You know, I, I love his motor. I love the way he gets up and down the court. He, he can he block shot. He can, he can even defend, he can defend guards. You know, I saw him out there on step a few times, man. Like, he's a very valuable piece, man. So, you know, you got to break the bank for Capella. Now, you can max out Chris Paul in five years, $207 million. Or you can try to do a Mike Conley. Talks are guaranteed in that fifth year. Yeah, I'm not giving uh, Chris Paul at this point. His age and injury concerns. I'm not giving him the full max deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll maybe do like four years or something like that, but, you know, like to make a partial, partial guarantee or something. But yeah, you'd be, you'd be a fool to throw max money in him and, and fully guarantee. Well, who's to say next year or two, you know, Chris Paul could just totally break down. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you gotta be careful how you go about that deal. But then again, the Rockets, the Rockets are not where they are without him. True, but I don't think he's going to, like, you know, um, I think he'll be willing to play ball as far as salary is concerned. He's not going to try to, 
you know, uh, rob, rob the Rockets or anything like that. He's going, he, he is going to rob them, but he ain't going, you know, stick him up the gun point. I, I think that would work. I really do. I really do, man. At the end of the day, football has to realize, you know, where he is in his career. How much money do you really need, bro? You know what I'm saying? You know, like you, you set for life, your children set for life, their children set for life. Like, how much money do you really need? Hell no. Nah. They'll be lucky to win one game. Like, this is just, this is so dumb, man, as far as why are we seeing this again for a fourth year in a row? And, of course, the NBA is going to sell it as, you know, LeBron versus Steph and LeBron versus KD. Well, like, it was perfect the way it went out last year. You know what I'm saying? Even though, of course, Cleveland was at a disadvantage because Golden State was awesome. You know, um, and that went five games, but... Dude, nobody wants to see this, man. Come on, four years in a row. You know, like anytime you do a a, a rivalry, uh, you know, in the finals or something like that, you know, at the most you want to see maybe two years, maybe three years tops. Like the Lakers versus Celtics back in the day, you never saw Lakers play a Celtics four years in a row. You never saw it happen three years in a row. At most, it was just, it was back to back years. Like this is just it's, it's overkill at this point. You know, like everything is kind of just predestined. You know what everybody's been saying for a while now with the NBA. You know, you know who's going to win at the end of the day. You know, so what's the point of even watching it? You know, people still tune in, but and and then like the whole LeBron comparison, the mic and everything. Like, okay, so once LeBron loses this final, what's what's the final record going to be now? It's going to be what three and three and six. Is it going to be three and six? Okay. So yeah, you talking about guys to be three and six in the finals, and we're still talking about him being. People talk about him being better than, better than Michael. How? How are you better than Michael? You three and six in the finals. Man, what you said, you know what? I like Shane Drop. Yeah, the whole. Yeah. Him. I can't believe he really believes himself. He says about me. I think I see uh, he hates the Cowboys. He's playing that role. He's going to roll with LeBron James. So on Skip's main talking points, he's going to roll. But the thing I think he's, he's real about. But with the Cowboy hate and the LeBron loving, he's he playing a role. Bro. And that's kind of makes me not respect him a little bit. Check kind of takes the edge off of him for me with Shannon Sharp, bro. And it's, it's, like, it's like a Fox Sports uh, narrative. You know what I'm saying? Where uh, not only Shannon, but Colin Coward and Nick Wright. Like, these guys love LeBron. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny how they try to how they try to create the story or the narrative. Like, when it appeared that uh, Boston may beat Cleveland, you know, uh, about a week or so ago. Oh, you know, Colin Calvert saying, oh, you know, it's better for LeBron to lose uh, to Boston than to lose to Golden State again in the finals. What? 
it, 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 it's funny just how it changes. Like at, at one moment they were, you know, content or cool with LeBron uh, losing the ball in the East Conference Finals, right? But now that he's, he's advanced to the finals, always the greatest feat ever, you know, ever accomplished in NBA history. Like, come on, y'all. What, what, it's, it's, it's always something. It's always one or the other with with, with them, man. You know, they always gonna flip flop in regards to LeBron. So where, they gonna flip flop to where it's gonna benefit them and benefit uh, their love of LeBron, basically. And it, it makes me sick, man. That's why I only watch around the horn and PTI and and jump. That seems to be fair. Yeah, it's just those guys. They, they can at least say they say um, non-biased, and they're able to give constructive criticism. I have not once last couple years have heard Colin or Nick Wright say a bad word about LeBron. Not one. Or Shannon Sharp. Or Shannon Sharp, yeah. Yeah, man. It's like a it's like a company it's like a company director or something. Like they have to, you know, yeah, stroke like, uh, LeBron James. Yeah. Or you have the right. cowboy hate and the non cowboy hate. Right. stuff right here, bro. And I, I know you're a big fan, you're part of the fan club, but it's difficult for me to support a team when the owner says these things about my people and I, we don't matter. Only what that jerk off when these things matters. Or you want to win on the issue that's about. Look at Jesus' video. He's telling around the book. He's watching the video. He's watching the videos of other guys who got killed by the police. That's what you Man. Yo, I tell you, man, like, last year, you know, when everything was going down, you know, it really kind of made me lose interest. You know, I was, I was always a fan, but, you know, I started to slowly lose interest to where, you know, every year about, you know, me, you know, my ties in the fan club, I'm buying shirts, hats, you know, all kind of NFL apparel. I didn't buy a thing. I didn't buy not one stitch of clothing uh, NFL-related last year. And years past, I've gone to Cowboy games, spent big money. You know, but and even this year, um, you know, I was thinking about going to the Cowboys. Well, I was going to the Cowboys Titans game, uh, November fifth, Monday Night Football. I had my hotel room booked and everything. But once that nonsense came out last week, man, the NFL ruling as far as uh, uh, you know, players kneeling and everything, man, I canceled my I canceled my hotel room. I'm, I'm not going to the game. I'm, and I, 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 you know what? I'll be surprised if I even sit down and watch. Uh, Cowboy game this year. I'm gonna pay attention to the score. You know, I'll, I'll go social media or whatever. You know, see if we won or lost. But as far as sitting down and watching the game, I've lost so much interest, man. And and then Dez being gone, and you know, it's just it's, just, it's too much going on, man. So I'm good, man. If we go to the if we go to Super Bowl, great. That's awesome. But I'm not as devoted, you know, a, a fan as I used to be. And, and that's sad, man. That's like that's part of my childhood. That's part of my youth. Mine you know, uh, cheering the Cowboys, man. Yeah. It's like I got all this but Cowboys now, yeah. gear, but I don't want to get it no more. Yeah, man. It's kind of almost like my my, my thing is man, it's kind of like almost uh, you know how you felt you know once you learned that Santa Claus wasn't real. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you you lose you lose a little bit of your innocence, really. Your favorite team's owner don't give a damn. You know what I'm saying? Yo, your favorite league, you know, favorite sport to watch, don't give a damn, you know, about about you, about us, so, 
I'm not supporting it, man. Like, I'm not buying anything. I'm not going. I'm not going to watch parties. I'm going to find something else to do with my, my Sundays, man. I really am, man. And if you don't know, now you know, you know.